So I set the timer for 8.30. And we do have some uh, new people here tonight. Um, for the benefit of them and for some of us who uh, it takes longer to get to know everybody's names. Uh, I'd like if we could just go around and everybody could just uh, say who they are. We start over here like, on this side. to being part of a community, uh, what you would like a community to be. So uh, I'm hoping that you did think about that and you, you've got some answers that you can share with me and with everyone else. <clears throat> to put this in a, a little bit of a perspective, um, as, as many of you know, uh, Buddhists take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, um, which is not particularly well understood by many people. Uh, when we take refuge in the Buddha, we're taking refuge in awakening as a possibility for ourselves. The Buddha is the model for that. Okay, And we take refuge to, for the, in the Dharma, we're taking refuge in that body of teachings and practices which are the means by which we can each of us realize that awakening. Um, we take the, the third refuge is the Sangha. Now, when the Buddhists first started this whole thing, the first few people took refuge in the Buddha, you know, not him, not the purpose, person. Nobody thought he was uh, a god or somehow could spread his wings and, and shelter them from the trials and tribulations of the world, which he couldn't. Uh, they took refuge in, in the awakening of the Buddha and the possibility of that for, for every man and woman uh, on, in, in the world. So the first, the first few uh, of his followers only took refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma. They didn't take refuge in the Sangha. But as soon as there was a, a significant number of people that had joined the Buddha, uh, he added the Sangha to that. The Sangha means community. That's, that's all Sangha means. But he had, there was a community forming around him and his teachings. And it was a community that was defined by a common goal, belief, which is that awakening was possible and that and this is what 
everybody that's a part of that community uh, aspired to for themselves. Uh, actually, we use the terms awakening, enlightenment. Um, uh, at, at that time, the way he put it was to understand the nature of suffering and being able to transcend suffering, to achieve a permanent end to suffering through acquiring profound wisdom into the true nature of reality. And that's what we're referring to when we say awakening. Now, but it was a community that was joined together on the basis of, of sharing that as a goal, as a personal aspiration, and believing that it was possible, and believing that the methods and practices that the Buddha taught would make that would allow that to happen. Not too long after this whole thing started, though, the Buddha elevated the Sangha itself to status equal to these two. And I just want you to reflect a moment on the significance of that. Especially in terms of probably how most people think of the importance and significance of Sangha, uh, of, of community in terms of your own spiritual path. And uh, I may be mistaken, but probably most people agree that, yes, it's valuable and yes, it's important, but if they were going to arrange, if they were going to pick what are the most three most important things uh, uh, to, to take refuge in, uh, in, in your personal spiritual quest, your personal path, would you have put the community of fellow practitioners as one of those three? You only got three to choose from. You only got three, so you, would, would you choose that? I would guess that most people wouldn't. They'd say, yeah, it's important. It's nice to have, you know. And the ordained song goes, well, it's good. That, that makes sure that there's people around that have studied this and learned this and know how to teach it to others. So it's important to understand the value and importance that the Buddha attached to it. And there is a, a very famous sutra. It's actually called uh, uh, Half of the Holy Life is the name of the sutra. It's one where Ananda, Ananda was the Buddha's cousin, but he was also uh, basically his attendant. He was always by his side and, uh, you know, very, very close to the Buddha and was his assistant in everything that he did. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it's due to Ananda's uh, amazing memory that we have, that we know and have passed down to us the teachings of the Buddha. But anyway, on one occasion, they were settling in for the evening, and Ananda ambles over and sits down next to the Buddha, and he says, uh, he says, uh, uh, I don't remember the exact wording, but, you know, uh, admirable friends, companions, comrades. And he says, that's half of the holy life. And maybe kind of thinking along the lines of, you know, it, it's important, but not that important. But the Buddha's response is, no, 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 don't say that. It's the whole of the holy life. And he went on to say, 
that somebody who is a part of a community uh, people uh, of this nature, of admirable uh, friends and companions and comrades, uh, that that person was surely to succeed in this quest and in this practice. And he didn't say the other side, but the implication that I think we can very confidently read into it, especially considering that the Buddha did make the Sangha one of the three refuges he asked people to take, was uh, the flip side of that was if you don't, if you're not a part of a strong supportive Sangha, the likelihood of you succeeding in this quest, achieving the wisdom that brings the end of suffering, of becoming awakened, is greatly reduced. So this is a conclusion I think that we can draw from, uh, from what the Buddha had to say about community, both, both in that discussion with, with Ananda and when he established as the most fundamental step that somebody would take in uh, embarking upon this path would be to take refuge in awakening, the path to awakening, and the community of fellow uh, uh, travelers on that path. So that's, that's where I'm coming from when I'm asking you to talk about community, about Sangha. You know, and, and Sangha is not just any old community. It is a community that is unified around the uh, aspiration to achieve this re really greatest of all possible human achievements. Uh, the belief that, it, that the aspiration to do that, the wish to do that, the belief that it's possible and the willingness to undertake that. That's, you, you belong in that Sangha if you have that aspiration. And in this particular variant of that larger Sangha, if you believe that the practice of meditation, mindfulness, following the Eightfold Path, and so forth, is a, an effective means for achieving that. And that's what makes us a Sangha. I think, uh, to a greater or lesser degree, that describes all of you, certainly all of you that uh, come regularly to these discussions, is that uh, you wish for, and at the very least hope, that it's something that, that is possible. It actually goes beyond that, too. It's not just for yourself, but at least part of it is that you would like to see the whole world change, that you would like to see the whole world manifest more wisdom and less suffering. And I'll just point out to you that that's actually an important part of the spiritual path, is to be concerned for others. You know, uh, an awakened being, an enlightened being, is defined by the wisdom and compassion that they manifest. And to achieve that wisdom at the same time, that you achieve that degree of compassion. And so compassion is really a part of this path. 
And compassion means that you care about the rest of the world. You care about the amount of suffering that's in the world. That is part of the path. And it is true that with the support of a Sangha, you are much more likely to achieve your own liberation than you are by yourself. It's also the case that if you really embrace the notion of making some real change in the world, collectively we can do so much more than we can individually. So much more becomes possible if we're part of a Sangha with shared values. And so this is why Sangha is really important. So Sangha is community, but it's not just any old community. It's a community that's built around uh, these particular beliefs and aspirations. And one way or another, you've come, you've come to hold that. Whether it started by just believing that learning to meditate could relieve some of the stress in your life and uh, uh, make you a bit of a better person, a bit happier. But that's the seed, and there is already this, this greater notion growing in you, which means that you need to belong to this sangha of like-minded people. So, I'd like to I'd like to know who wants to be a part of the community, but before, before I ask for answers to that question, I'd, I'd just like to go around and ask people to share with everyone what community means to you. And then having done so, let's see, who would like to, who feels as though they really want to be a part of that kind of community, they want to be a part of the Sangha, and also, I think it'd be very important to hear from any, but don't hold back if, if, if you feel like it's not for you, it's not something you want. It's, I, I think we'd all like to know that, and we would really like to hear hear your reasons. So so that's that's where I'd like to get us to this evening. So, what does, what does community mean to you? And that can include what you would like, what you want from community. Yes, ma'am. Like in, in the spirit of uh, the Sangha, I'd like to I'd like to introduce Alice and Celine and Leanne, who hasn't been here for a while. It, so they're newcomers to, uh, <clears throat> or at least for Thursday night, mm -hmm. to uh, the center. And so uh, I think it's reaching out to other people. Mm -hmm. So that you you came tonight because somebody somebody invited you. And so it's just that reaching out, welcoming people, and just to be part of my life. Because uh, uh, I want to support you, but I also appreciate your contribution that you'll make. And that's a little bit of what I think about it. Uh -huh. yeah. Thank you. Okay. To me, the community is really, really important. Um, I tend to, as a, as a Buddhist and as a person, tend to isolate myself. It's really easy, you know, sit and meditate. And, but I understand how important community is. I'm so glad you touched on this subject because I think there has been a weakness in terms of, you know, community. And um, 
I personally try to meet the new people and talk to them, but I'd also like to be able to connect outside of our group meetings in the community, maybe be able to have tea with a few people, mm -hmm. chat, call them up sometimes, mm -hmm. go for a hike. And I find TCMC does not, has not, in the six or eight months I've been coming, doesn't seem to promote that very well. Um, I didn't even know there was a community board with things on it in the in the library um, for months and months, and I can't read it anyway because it's up so high. <laughs> um, but I'd also like to see personal things, like if there's a pet sitter in the room, I'd like to see a posting or have something up that says, this Sangha member does pet sitting, or this Sangha member does babysitting, or this Sangha member is a lawyer. You know, I mean, we can support the people here outside of this place as well as inside. And I'd like to see that happen. Mm -hmm. So I'll be part of whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, you'd like to see the community board out here? Yes, absolutely. How many other people would like to see the community board out here? And we need Wait, to be able to notice. I am. Yeah, and we need to be able to put stuff up there that is like of us. It doesn't have to be a meeting that's happening or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it got moved back there because of complaints about clutter out here. So <laughs> you can't necessarily please everyone. But, but I, I did hear that. So, and I, I, I was after your email today. I was. I've been thinking about it. So the board can discuss that. Okay. Who else? Uh, going back to your scriptural reference, uh, my understanding from previous teachings on the, this subject is that the actual Sangha refers to realized beings, people that have passed the first stage of enlightenment and on up. And so, and that, that the community is a, uh, something, something of a nominal Sangha. Uh, so, but the real Sangha, in terms of my own personal conviction, like to to find those people, to follow those people, to be around those people, mm -hmm. might be extremely beneficial for somebody's spiritual path if they intend to yeah. reach. However, the nominal community is is good and and it's a it's a supportive thing, but I'm not too sure that that's what that scripture was saying. I think the scripture was saying you should be around realized beings and you should change everything to be around those yeah. beings because being close to those beings. Is going to bring you closer to it because you can—it's real. And you can taste it, and okay. so I think that scriptural reference is not really talking about building a, a friendship community, which you're. I, I, let me just address that because I, I do disagree with that, and uh, it's uh, the sangha usually traditionally is described as being of three sorts. Uh, one is the Sangha, the Aryan Sangha, you know, which uh, Aryan means uh, noble, and it was the term that uh, the Buddha chose to use to uh, designate those people who had achieved at least the first, first stage of awakening. But the Aryan Sangha, and then, the, of course, the Aryan Sangha was only uh, a subset of the much larger Sangha. Uh, most commonly nowadays in the world, the word Sangha is taken to refer to the ordained Sangha, which are those people who have taken, uh, taken the vows to become a, a bhikkhu or a bhikkhuni. But uh, 
there's an odd thing here because uh, according to the sutras themselves, there were many members of the Aryan Sangha who did not take 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 on take robes and take vows. These were the enlightened laymen, uh, some of which are described by the Buddha as the foremost teachers and most accomplished of all his followers. So uh, even regarding the Sangha as a group of ordained people, you have that that excludes enlightened people that are not ordained. The third meaning of Sangha historically, Sangha means community, and it basically does mean all of those who are followers of the Buddha Dharma. And so I think that that narrow interpretation of the uh, uh, of the half of the Holy Life Sutra is uh, reflecting the bias of the people that are teaching that sutra. I don't think they accurately reflect the intention of the Buddha. Um, the the word that would designate it would uh, it would be very interesting for you to look at the sutra in Pali, because the the word that would restrict it to enlightened beings would be Aryan. But I, I, I believe that the certainly the Buddha's intention in the Sangha was that uh, it was it was the larger community. Yeah. Yeah. So even if it wasn't, I'll go for larger community. Well, <laughs> one of the things, yeah, I would too. One of the things that I firmly believe is that the the potential of Buddhism was severely stunted by the, the fact that it became essentially a monastic tradition and it had its, uh, the deep teachings and the deep understandings were confined to, to celibate monks in monasteries, you know, and a, a few also celibate nuns who, uh, you know, but it mostly, mostly celibate monks in monasteries. And there grew up a lay Buddhist tradition that is actually in conflict with much of the of the uh, of the deeper Buddhist tradition that's been preserved in the monasteries. I think one of the reasons Buddhism has not had the impact on the world that it has the potential to have is because of that, and that's something that needs to change. Buddhist, the Buddhism of the future is not going to be. Of Buddhism of ordained monks uh, wearing robes. It's going to be Buddhism of dedicated lay practitioners who are are going to be active in the world and make changes in the world. Another little side issue there too about what I believe, having studied uh, this tradition and similar traditions, the sorts of things that can be accomplished not as a part of a community are really rather limited. One way that I like to see that it has been put is that you can achieve the first steps of enlightenment in solitary meditation, off in a cave or a mountaintop. But then you must return to the marketplace. And the continuation of the path requires that, that you be in the world. 
not necessarily of the world, but in the world and interacting with people. And so I firmly believe that we are the true Sangha, and I believe that we are the Sangha that the Buddha was referring to. And that it has served people's interests at various times to put the emphasis on the Aryan Sangha or put the emphasis on the ordained Sangha. But the Sangha is, is everyone who's following this path, ordained or not, and most of us are you know, have not reached the first stages of enlightenment. Yeah. Don't the scriptures say that women cannot be enlightened? <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't say that. That's an interpretation that has been made of things that are... That's, a, that's, that's one of those beliefs that has grown up. And in some Buddhist traditions, you will find Buddhist masters teaching that the best a woman can hope for is, you know... You, you'd be a really good wife and mother, and if you're lucky, you'll be reborn as a man, and then you can come away. That's, that, is, that is not true. There are, there are uh, in the sutras, uh, uh, many references to women who have achieved awakening. To go back to the community, though, what, where were you heading with that? Okay, well, let's get back to what community means to you. Yes. <clears throat> it's been, this has been something that has been you know, very much um, on my mind and our minds as we have been part of um, several Buddhist sanghas over the last few years and I've actually started a couple in places that we've lived and um, thanks in large measure to your teachings I've, I feel pretty clear that a Buddhist community to me is a place where the, the threefold training is cultivated um, mm-hmm. and where that is where systematic practice of Virtue, meditation, and wisdom uh, is happening um, in a tangible way. People are supported in that, supporting each other in that, inviting any anyone who wants to come to uh, immerse themselves in those things. Um, and so, to me, that's as you say. A lot of the challenge, since the monastic model uh, is not as it exists in Southeast Asia, is not happening here. It's not going to work. Um, is um, following very much in your own footsteps, how can we have a monastic level of intensity of practice and yet be lay people? You know, mm-hmm. How can we be in the world, but how can we have uh, really serious meditation practice, really dedicated study, um, and, and um, uh, take on precept practice um, uh, in our daily lives and support each other in doing that? Um, and so a community that I would be, want to be part of would be something that did all of those things and where fellowship was also an integral part of that. So um, as somebody else was mentioning to begin with, that, that includes, I mean, it includes all the formal practice and practice in silence, but it also includes breaking bread together. It includes mindful hikes in nature. It includes uh, making a tangible difference in the local community and inviting other people. But to me, the foundation of it has to be really having a seat where, where it's the threefold training. And to me, that's something very different than having a secular meditation center, which mm-hmm. is, I know that's, that is our host here, but the idea that meditation is enough without the other two things, mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's not. Just as a note to that, there's nothing, no conflict between there being 
a Buddhist Sangha within a secular meditation Sangha. Sure. And, and there are various reasons why that might actually be the ideal way for things to be arranged. Because many people come to Buddhism first and primarily because of meditation. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, thank you for your view of what what the community is that you'd like to be a part of. Yes? Um, it's pretty similar to what you were saying, but for me, the Sangha is like your support system. Yes. And it's what helps you, because when you do go into the world and you are part of your daily life, without that place of support and people who are on the same path as you and believe the same things as you, it is incredibly difficult to keep it going. It certainly is. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And we are so powerfully influenced by the people that we're around. And for for both the positive and the negative, for the good and the bad. And considering that it's inevitable that as lay people we're going to spend a lot of our time in the company of people that, who have very little understanding of any of these ideas and are really totally uh, uh, in, enraptured by uh, materialism and uh, feel that, that, that greed and lust and anger and hatred are are only reasonable and natural parts of the way that people live. It's really important to have a balance to that, to have other people that you can be around who understand things differently. So, yes, thank you very much. Do you have some pointed questions that you could ask? <laughs> yeah. About how to start it? I'm hoping that, you know, if we share our thoughts on what we think it is, what we would like it to be, that that, that may start to emerge on its own. That's what I'm hoping. Yes? You know, I believe that um, certainly a lot of the Westerners who are teaching now spent some time in monastic, monastic situations yeah. in India, Southeast Asia, um, and Tibet too, um, and so they brought the tradition back to us, and and we have whatever our our own um, formation is, and so it's like trying to integrate um, our understanding of community of a um, um, of a community of what people who are uh, maybe dedicated or devoted to what this gentleman said here, you know, the threefold path and how that manifests in our daily lives. And what she said is, you know, support needs to be there for mm -hmm. people who are, um, you know, we are a lot, a lot of mm -hmm. us introverts. That's what we like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah. have to talk. Yeah. <laughs> that support is very important and it goes both ways. 
Is there anything in this room that's never had any doubt about the, the Dharma or the practices? <laughs> or their suitability for yourself or their effectiveness? And it's, this, uh, this doubt is natural. It's built into us. It's important. It saves us. If you didn't have some part of your mind that questioned, that doubted, that asked yourself, okay, is, am I being had or is there really something at the end of this road? You know, uh, is, this, is, is the output of time and energy uh, really going to be rewarded by something that's, that's worth it in the end? Anybody that doesn't have that part of their mind working is, uh, well, <laughs> I feel sorry for them. They're, they're going to be totally exploited, taken advantage of, everything else. We all have it. So, uh, of course, how do you deal with doubt when it comes up? You know, there are various antidotes you have, but being around other people in whom you can confide your doubt and who've experienced doubt themselves as well, and it come, this is so powerful. Not that you can't overcome doubt on your own, but it's so much easier and so much better when you have, when you have other people to help you in those times. And that's just one example. So many different ways that we can support each other. And it's not just about being supported. It's about providing support. Has, any, has, has anyone not noticed that sometimes when you explain something to someone else, you understand it better yourself? <laughs> or that when you hear the questions of others, that it it somehow un unravels a knot that you didn't even know that you you had in your own thinking. But also, doesn't it feel so good when you're able to help somebody else, even in some very small way, and it boosts your own uh, boosts your own confidence. So, yeah, this so much in the way of support that we can provide each other and it's such an important thing. Judah Dasa, I mean, what how would we make that happen? I mean, is there some kind of a like a phone list we can put together or like I try to share my contact yeah. information with the one new person every time I come here. Yeah. But you know, I mean is there something concrete that we can actually do to reach out? I mean you know? I've, well, I've got an idea. Yeah, the obvious answer. You should be the committee person for the sustainability. Okay, okay, I'll do it. Well, what you're really getting into is, okay, so there's a lot of people that come together at certain times because there's an event taking place that, that they have a common interest in. And you come and you you share that time together, but there's really nothing in between that, and that's a very that doesn't provide a lot of support. And I always I feel bad every Thursday night when I have to ring the bell and call everybody back so that we can have a, a talk, uh, because I know that what's happening during that break is something that's very important. That's that's where that's the beginning of building relationships and friendships and uh, things that 
can extend beyond the boundaries of these scheduled events that bring us together. Uh, some of the things that some people have, have uh, thought of, like Tim and Jessica said, why don't we have a movie night to give people an opportunity to get together, you know, and uh, it can still be more or less related to meditation and dharma, but it can be more social and about more, uh, more about building relationships mm-hmm. and spending social time with each other. And I think that, that uh, that's a wonderful thing. What can you do? One of the things you can do is participate in these things when the opportunities are made available. You know, I had a twinge of disappointment when I asked earlier who was planning to go to the TCMC fall gathering on Sunday. Um, but it was more like, okay, we've got to, we've got to get a little deeper into this, and in a sense. Uh, there has, there has to be a sense of community already before these events are going to carry any kind of weight. We can schedule sangha-building events every day of the week, 365 days of the year, and the average attendance would probably be the people that went to, went to the trouble of organizing it, and two or three other people had nothing better to do that night. <laughs> right? So it, it kind of goes the other way around. We've got to find the ways, various ways to build relationships, to really have the Sangha. Then we can have these kind of events, and people will want to come to them, not just because they can see a movie. I mean, after all, who doesn't have Netflix and movie streaming and all this kind of other stuff? The only reason to come to a movie night is because you, you want to be with the other people. And the only reason that's going to happen is if you feel in relationship to these people. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an example of something, and this might, we're, we're newcomers to CCMC, so maybe it's something that doesn't gel here, but thinking about the Sunday potluck, or thinking about opportunities to have time together off the cushion based on time practicing mm-hmm. together. I could... I could easily imagine a situation where, whether it was Saturday or Sunday sit, and whether it was every week or whatever it was, where we had, um, um, let's say, let's say it was Sunday morning, where Sunday morning the, the there was a shift in the way that things were done, and it was uh, forty minutes sit and twenty minute walking meditation, three of them back to back, and that's that's how you spent nine a.m. to twelve p.m. Uh, I've been part of a lot of songs that have done that, and then another block from 2 to 5, and one from 7 to 9 at night. You have a day-long sit, and you show up for whatever period you want. But let's say that you got less ambitious and just picked the, picked the weekend day and said, um, we're going to have um, sitting and walking meditation, and it's going to be 40 or 45 minutes of sitting and 15 minutes of walking mm-hmm. together inside in silence, kind of the standard Vipassana format. And we're going to do that from 9 to 12. And for a lot of people... That would be a huge block mm-hmm. in practice. Um, it would be jumping off into the deep end of the pool if you're a new meditator. And then after that, those who want are going to go to lunch. Mm-hmm. And you're scheduling a lot of Sangha activities so that they end around kind of a normal meal time. Mm-hmm. And why? To build fellowship without adding something different in your life. And that's, you know, looking for opportunities like that where there's really, there's intensive practice and there's a bit of a... Um, uh, there's there's a bit of a carrot at the end of it, and the carrot is building community. Right. 
How many of you would buy into something like that if it were happening? Be honest. Okay, great. It's, it's got to include breakfast, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, something like that. Uh, it's, I'm just going to back off from that a little bit, and we'll, we'll come to come back to the discussion of building relationships and community. I just want to ask another question first. You wanted to say something before I do okay. that? Okay, maybe. Um, you know, you asked the word sangha to you. Well, and I tell you, for me, it is social media. That's, that's community. Social media. Social media, yes. Okay. Facebook. I think we have a Facebook page. Um, I have okay. relationships. For example, give you one. This is my sangha. My children, two children were born in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm in a community of breastfeeding mothers in Blacksburg, Virginia. My children are 20 and 18 now. Okay, so that's my community. I answer these things when you're right. I don't even know who I am, but I'm answering their questions. Okay, that so. is that's very good. Social media. See, for me, mm-hmm. I I I don't feel that because of my age and my life history. This is right. a new thing, right. and it's a new thing that I have to admit I can't quite relate to. But I know for many of you, <laughs> for many of you, to to talk about community without including. Social media is is kind of pointless, and I acknowledge that, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. That is a very important thing. Yeah, but no, we do we do have the Dharma Treasure community. We, we do, do have a community website, and we have a TCMC page as well. Right, yeah, but, but this is a this is a group that we explicitly set up to be that. That's right. That, and that was to connect people through social media. It's basically a private yeah. Facebook type thing. It, it's like a private Facebook. And one of the things that's very important that gives you the opportunity to do is to provide support for each other. People can ask questions about the Dharma, ask questions about meditation. And, you know, if, if you have a problem, you'll find all kinds of other people who have the same problem and can, can make suggestions and help you. Yeah. I, mean, I have a bit of a different stance on social media. Yeah. <laughs> and you know about it. I actually decided not to participate in it because... To me, it's more like anti-social retreating. And what I'm looking for in a community is really a face-to-face community. Mm-hmm. Because you can have a Facebook, a whatever, a Twitter community, everywhere. You don't even have to leave your house yeah. and meet people. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know why everything well, I, I, I has to turn com- into the same thing. Yeah. I agree with you completely, Stephanie. It's not really a community if it's only online. It's not. It, but if you have a real community, that online component is going to be a really important part of it, especially for for people who are under 50. <laughs> it's, it is really... So I, I'm, I'm agreeing with, with both of you that it, it's not really a community unless you get out of the house and you meet face-to-face and you do things together. But I agree that today, to conceive of the community and neglect the, media, the social media aspect uh, is naive and foolish. It it's, it's leaves a huge weakness. Yeah. It seems to me like we live in a time when everyone's life is so jam-packed and so full of stress that it, I think a lot of us find it difficult to create more space all the time. And so I think for me, um, things that involve practice and then something like a meal, great. I think that's a really great opportunity. Um, actually, Mary McWhorter, when she started the saga, um, used to have Sunday brunch at Rincon Market every time <laughs> after her, um, meditation on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And that was really a great way to 
And I'll just add to that before we go to Sarah, which is that um, one of the things we can do for each other as a Sangha is to help us learn to appreciate and enjoy time spent communicating with other people rather than accomplishing goals. Okay? It's very easy, we're very prone to, you know, I don't have time to waste talking to you, I have all these other things to be done. Right? Ever, anybody ever had that thought? <laughs> and we need to rediscover, it's true that a lot of the things when people talk to each other is are it, it is time wasted. But if we're following the precepts, there's a precept against idle speech and gossip, which means that if we're going to interact, if we're going to talk, we're going to really communicate. We're not just going to talk about sports and the weather and all this other kind of junk. Sarah? Um, I just love hearing all these comments. I, I just wanted to add um, a note around the, the tool, which is the way I think about it, of technology in service of this larger idea. And um, the, the basic idea of the interpersonal connection that we have in embodied in person uh, and the centrality of that to the, the realizing of what a sangha can be. And at the same time, we have this great gift now of technology that allows us to share information literally worldwide and have a sangha, a sangha that is international. And so if we use that mindfully, and so including social media and the website and the social, and the, um, the uh, community site that we have now, um, all of that just grows richer and richer. And what I would love to see is that we do get way beyond this room in the way we think about it. And that when we think of volunteer opportunities, for example, you know, that we can engage people literally all over the globe mm -hmm. in what we're doing very actively. And then on the ground locally, they're going to be accomplishing as we are here, all kinds of wonderful things. So to me, it's a, a micro-macro way of thinking mm -hmm. about this that is deeply interpersonal in a very immediate way, but also global. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. Tim? You know, um, um, one of the things we don't talk too much about in here is, is the practical benefits of mindfulness. Because I know that there's people in here that are thinking, I couldn't possibly fit a community into my life, I'm so busy. And they're not aware of the facts that, that becoming mindfulness, the more mindfulness, more the more mindful you become, the more time you have, the more energy you have, the better choices you make, the better relationships you make. Mm -hmm. And you and you get you end up being having plenty of time for community life. Yes, I, I think that that's, that's true that that as you grow in wisdom, that you find that you've been wasting a huge amount of time on, on things that, that don't really matter at all. Uh, you know, that it really depends on where you are in your life. If you have little kids at home, your, uh, your time is, uh, uh, is compromised in a different way. I mean, you know, so it really depends on the context and the situation you're in. I, I, I would just, I, I'd say, everybody has demands on their time, including single mothers. But, you know, if you, if, if you have, if you, if you truly have a, a workable community, 
that community is going to help those kinds of people right. participate as well. Right. And ideally, uh, we wouldn't be a community with only one single mother. And so you have these other commonalities that you can share and help each other with. Yeah. No, time can't be up yet. <laughs> Peggy? Um, I'm, I have to go, but um, I respond well to things like book groups, I, you know, where you actually have something to talk about and then relationships build around that. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if there is a book group. Well, it's something that, has, that somebody has recently suggested that they might help to organize. I think these are all wonderful ideas. Since I know some of you are going to have to go and time's up, I'll just point out to you that if we see it clearly as something that we consider valuable and that we would like to have, if we have the wish to become a real Sangha rather than a group of people that happens to get together every now and then because of a common interest, if we have that wish, then we're, we're at least... 60% of the way there. And if we, if we form an intention to make it happen, if it's not just an idle, oh, wouldn't it be nice kind of wish, if we form an intention to actually think about and try to find ways to make it happen, which everybody in this room has, has been doing here for the last little while, thinking about how... If, that, if, if we form that intention collectively, we're about 90% of the way to the goal. So if we have the aspiration, and as a result of that aspiration, if we form an intention, as you may have heard me say before, the only thing that we're capable of doing is intention. You know, I can't pick up this cup. All I can do is formulate the intention. And nicely enough, my nervous system and my body follow that intention and, and, and realize it. It's, all you can do is intent. And it, intentions, repeated intentions uh, manifest, and repeated and sustained intentions manifest as reality in the world. So if the, the best thing that could possibly have come out of our discussion tonight is for you to be clear on the idea that, yes, I would like to see such a Sangha develop, and I would like to be a part of it, and I intend to do what I can to help make that happen. And if anybody wants my contact information, <laughs> seriously, seriously, I would love to get in touch with people. We can kind of talk about some Buddhist books, practices. I always have questions, um, and I happen to have a fair amount of time. Mm -hmm. I'm open to it tonight. So. If, you post, if you post on Facebook, I'll answer I do not do Facebook. <laughs> I am sorry. I have uh, one more thing I want to let you know before you go. Is uh, for any of you who are, are not on our mailing list or for some reason your spam filter isn't letting our emails to you go through, uh, we just came out with another Dharma Treasure newsletter. Uh, was that yesterday? Really good. Yeah. And uh, Barbara has made copies of that, so if you haven't seen it, you can get a, a, a printed copy of it. And if you if you aren't if you aren't getting emails of things like the the Dharma Treasure newsletter, sign up 
for on their email list if you haven't already. And if you have, but you're not getting it, please uh, check your spam filters and things like that and see what's keeping it from getting through to you. Okay, but Barbara, can you show who you are so they know who to get the copies of the newsletter from? That's an, you know, if we're going to be a, a community, we, all these little things count, right? Yes. Um, from what you said before, first of all, if it's not, I, I've been part of TCMC for about seven years now. There's three Sondas on the internet. They're correct, TCMC, you, and uh, now Repaya. Is that correct? They're all separate Sondas. Paya has been a different relationship. Well, yeah, they, they, they rent space from GCMC, although we're trying to become as synergistic with them as we possibly can. Yeah. Right. And um, what I see is TCMC doesn't have its own leader, actually, a teacher. And you do. You are a teacher. That's mm -hmm. why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And I would not choose a sangha unless I was choosing the teacher or the community. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, no, I would not choose a sauna at this point. Because I don't think, I, I would, I, my alliance would be more to TMC right now and to help them. I have to get to know the sangha. I, I know the teacher better now. Mm -hmm. That helps, but I find it um, hard to do that. Okay, well, I'd like to address that if you don't mind staying a, a few minutes longer. One thing about the vast majority of human organizations is that, that intended, intentional or not, they end up being exclusive. They define themselves antithetically in terms of who we are and who everybody, what everybody else is not. But the kind of sangha that we're talking about must be inclusive. It ultimately must, you know, what, what you should think of is that... Uh, Everyone in the world is ultimately a part of this Sangha. The way that I think of the relationship between TCMC and Dharma Treasure is that TCMC is a Sangha of people who believe in the value of meditation. Right? That's what they all have in common. Some of them within that, that, that TCMC Sangha uh, believe in Buddhist meditation. Others don't. Some of them believe in particular forms of Buddhist meditation, like uh, that particular kind of vipassana that's taught at Spirit Rock and, and uh, uh, IMS. Others believe in a different kind of vipassanas taught by Shenzhen Young. So really, TCMC is... TCMC, what these people have in common is the belief in the value of meditation and it's important to have a facility, a place, an organization that allows that to take place. So what I would suggest to you, if, if, you can, if you can relate to being a part of TCMC, then that's great. If you would put yourself in a category that wants to be a part of, of that sphere of the Sangha, but, but not a subset of it that is Dharma treasure, then that's fine. But I would say that what I would like is that as we mature in this process, that we think of ourselves as an exclusive and an inclusive sangha, so that everybody who feels like they belong to Dharma Treasure and Dharma Treasure belongs to them feels like the rest of TCMC is just the next circle out. 
that's not, it's still a part of the same Sangha. It's just the next circle out, because we are a meditation Sangha, so therefore TCMC includes us within it. And that's how I would like everyone to think of it. It's not an either-or. It shouldn't be an either-or. As far as the teacher is what I'm saying, and I, not, God forbid, anything ever happened, but if you weren't here, what would the Sangha be like exactly? You know, I to tell you the truth, I'm here to see you right now. Mm-hmm. All these yeah. wonderful people in each place, mm-hmm. and I've seen them in other places, sort of flying. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm here to see you and to heal yeah. myself and hopefully heal the world. We, we, well, we start with where we are. If we if we build if we build a good sangha, and if there's some there's some other really good teachers in in training and in development. Uh, <coughs> Uh, some of them in this room right now, okay? okay? Yeah. So that, you know, who knows? I might be dead tomorrow. Hopefully I won't. But hopefully by the time that I am gone, uh, by then I'll have become more or less irrelevant and all of your needs are going to be met by the rest of the Sangha. That's my ideal. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. And I also see a strong teacher to make a sangha much stronger, because I, I see that TCMC has a hard time without yeah. a teacher making it. You know, it's yeah. like something. But uh, and I, that's a responsibility I have, this is to to guide you and to help you to become a strong sangha so that they can become irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, all the... Anybody that wants to can go, okay? <laughs> but again, a couple other people have things they want to say. So, Nick, you were first, and then Barbara. Uh, well, I don't know how unique this is to me, but in thinking about this, I realize that my life has been such that you know, doing Buddhism through you know, flying somewhere to do a retreat, moving many times in my life, um, even moving within Tucson, I don't actually have experience of community mm-hmm. in a way that I can draw on. Even it's like, well, sound. The only thing I can relate it to is, you know, church, which I didn't do as a kid, and you know, the word fellowship kind of makes mm-hmm. my shoulders go up. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but I wonder if I'm not the only one who isn't immediately drawn just because I don't have a grew up, you know, in a very rural area, not many people around. It just, it didn't happen for me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really have the experience to draw on to say, yeah, I, I want this. I mean, I can kind of imagine it. Right. I've had little glimpses of it, but still quite get a real visceral sense yeah. of what the heck we're trying to do here. Well, I, I think in a way that is a, a benefit because you don't have preconceived notions based on past it's experience. It's almost like I need some kind of remedial Effort. Even <laughs> well, and 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 yes, I, I I would suggest that you you think in terms of what you would what you would like, what you can imagine that you would like it to be, and uh, as you interact with everyone else, you're you're going to get that remedial. You know, everybody else has lots of experience to share with you. Different forms, uh, Barbara. I just wanted to. Tell people that there's a bag of garlic out there. <laughs> <laughs> Please take some garlic. 
<laughs> Sarah, and then I think we better stop. Shifting and go. gears, but back to what Nick was saying, I, I see that end of the continuum and then the other end of that continuum of having been part of um, communities that were extremely exclusive, extremely um, uh, dogmatic, and I, not that I belong to any for any length of time, but I've experienced those, and not, not just in the Buddhist arena, but other traditions. And so what, what is important to me is that there is this middle balance point that, that involves this much larger, inclusive, flexible, fluid set of needs, all different kinds of activities going on. Some people hate book groups. Some people love book groups. It's, it becomes, it's like a, a, a whole um, marketplace of different kind of offerings mm -hmm. that we can uh, nurture and support and participate in at different times when you're really busy you're not going to do as many things you know all those kinds of things I think if you have a thriving uh, community like that it can be it can look like a lot of different things at any given moment mm -hmm. okay so I think we'll crawl off there I just please <laughs> think about this for the next two weeks um, did you mention about, we have a, a, a young man who's doing a solo meditation oh, retreat. That, that's handled. Oh, good. That's handled. Uh, <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, so uh, thank you for that. Yeah, so please, for the next two weeks, think about this. And please, come back here again two weeks from night, ready to discuss this some more. Okay? Next week there'll be a discussion too, right? Yes. Oh, that's right. Yes, and that's yes. Continue. Yes. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> Think about this, and please come next week to continue this discussion, as well as two weeks after to or, or, or uh, two weeks from now to continue it with me. I won't be here next Thursday, but please. Part of creating a sangha is is what happens on these alternate Thursday nights when I'm not here. That's really important. And uh, you've got some really wonderful people that uh, are facilitating those, those discussions. So please do come.